0: What's up, Video Landers? I'm your host, Brad Hawkins, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Videoland. You know, it's not every day a fresh idea comes along, especially for the horror genre, and I'm very excited to share this conversation with you tonight. Tonight, I talked with Jackson Stewart. Jackson is the director, the writer, and the producer of the new indie horror film, Beyond the Gates, Beyond the Gates premiered at the Los Angeles Film Festival in July of this year to a sold-out crowd and to some very positive reviews. The film also put together a very fun cast for horror genre fans, including Barbara Crampton of Reanimator, From Beyond, and Your Next Fame. Beyond the Gates will also be receiving its European premiere at Fright Fest later this year. It will be playing alongside The Woods and Rob Zombie's 31. Please welcome Jackson. Stewart. all right what's up man welcome to video land
1: hey thank you for having me
0: yeah man uh, before we talk about your movie beyond the gates uh let's set the stage for our listeners uh what's your top five horror films of all time
1: uh that's a good question you know i think it's it would probably go the original texas chainsaw massacre uh that's you know, I, I think that movie's untouchable. Um, it's it's like just the perfect example of right place, right time, everything in it. It's like even the stuff that's a little dodgy in it ends up kind of uh, supporting the movie in an odd way. You know, it's I, I it's hard to explain, but it's like this sort of dingy uh quality of that movie really goes a long way which um i don't feel like they've really been able to match in any of the other movies they've they've done in that series and i've liked a couple of the other entries but yeah uh that's number one for sure then phantasm that's you know incredible i love the original I, i just cannot get enough of it um what else? Uh Reanimator would be way up there. I think that movie just balances tone perfectly and it's you know, got three excellent performances from Barbara Crampton, Bruce Abbott and Jeffrey Combs, none of which, you know, step on the others toes and it's just such a masterpiece. It's scary, it's hilarious, you know. Um, Christine, the Carpenter film would probably be on there.
0: Man, and that's a very underrated John Carpenter film, man. That movie's uh, just amazing.
1: Yeah, it really is. It, I, I'm i kind of, I feel like people are starting to talk about it a little bit more now, which is nice, but it was so kind of just, it, I, I feel like it was just very, uh, disregarded for a lot of times where it's like people would talk about, you know, Halloween, or The Thing, and, you know, a couple other ones here and there, but Christine almost never got the love that it deserved, and I'm, I'm glad people are kind of coming around on it. Um, and I'm trying to think of what else would be on there. I know I, I, know I sent you something,
0: and I'm spacing what the other one that was now. Uh, oh, yeah, The Vanishing. I think uh, we, oh, we discussed vanishing. The Vanishing for a few minutes, yeah. Yeah,
1: because, yeah, The Vanishing is, uh, I don't know if you've, if you've ever seen that. Yeah, one. for sure. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I sort of watched it incorrectly because I, I saw the remake first, which okay. was a mistake, and then I, I saw the original, and I was like, I saw the remake, I was like, wow, that was kind of bad. Like, I don't know why everyone was so obsessed about this. And then someone was like, no, you have to watch the... You have to watch the, the Dutch version. It's
0: oh yeah, for sure. I remember that movie affecting me as a kid. It's been years. It's probably been at least a decade since I've watched the original Vanishing. Uh, but that, that affected me as a kid. You know, there's a, there's some great shots in that movie.
1: Yeah, and it's also too, I think narratively, they do such a, a smart thing with it by having them reveal the the guy who kidnapped her so early in the movie. And I think there, if in most other films, it's like they'd save that. For the third act, or, you know, way down the line, and, you know, the movie would ultimately devolve into, like, okay, is he gonna kill the guy or not, and, you know, it ends up going into such a, a unique uh, territory by having it be like, no, he's basically complicit with what this guy's doing, because he's so, he just has to know the truth and find out what happened to his lady. And uh, it's weird, too, because the first time I was watching it, I was like, I don't want this guy to do this, but I'm rooting for him to go along with the guy because I have to know what happened.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so it's like you're kind of complicit in making the
1: bad decisions that the protagonist is, which um, not enough movies do that. But uh, yeah, I love that movie. I think it's fucking terrifying. And it's. The, the serious thing is that whole situation's relatable, where it's like you could see yourself falling into that just out of wanting to know the truth. So, yeah.
0: You know, and just out of curiosity, we were talking just a second ago about uh, underappreciated uh, John Carpenter films. Uh, what do you think about um, The uh, Prince of Darkness? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I figured that song seems like it'd be right up your alley. Yeah, it,
1: uh, it definitely is. The ending of that movie always stuck out to me, too. I just I thought that was like the one of the ballsiest endings I'd ever seen. And it, it just I, I, I can't remember. I think my friend Chris Kalari mentioned this. He's another writer friend of mine. But he said uh, Prince of Darkness almost feels more like a Wes Craven film from that era than a John, a John Carpenter one. I was like I could kind of see that it uh-huh. still feels carpentry, but it's like in this kind of like more academic intellectual space that a lot of Craven stuff kind of was, where it's like, oh well, is like a science right or is religion right? And it's it's pretty fascinating. Um I think that movie just gets better and better the older I get. Like the I, I get more and more out of it each time I watch it now.
0: Yeah, I think that's the case with um, pretty much all Carpenter films, man. Yeah. I, I maybe with the exception of you know Ghosts of Mars. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple <laughs> at the end of his legs there that uh, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, he he didn't have too many like he didn't
1: really have too many misses in in the whole you know his whole filmography. It's like there's a couple that you know I don't think hit quite as hard, but there's only a couple like real duds in there. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, pretty impressive.
0: Man, how have these uh, movies that we just discussed have any of them um, influenced or inspired you as a as an artist?
1: You know, yeah, I think uh, the the big one is, is certainly Phantasm. I've just always been so blown away with what that movie was able to accomplish, especially them you know not having the hugest budget in the world. It uh, it, it just it, it was so fascinating to me that you know you are able to take all these different kind of surreal elements, put them into the same movie, have it all make sense and not feel too busy and, um, you know, be able to do stuff like go into another dimension and, uh, you know, like have people get killed and return. And there's all sorts of just amazing stuff about the first one that I'm, I'm completely into. And, you know, I, I, I like aspects of, of each of the sequels but I for me the the original is just untouchable I don't think um, anything can rival that Uh, and it's also too um, there's just the the big thing that I took away from that movie was just like the family dynamic and you know between Jody and Mike that I I tried to put somewhat of a spin on but using in uh, Beyond the Gates which you know when you get a when everyone gets to see it, they'll find that out.
0: That's awesome. Um, and I think that adventure horror elements really coming back in a big way, you know? Oh, for, well, I, I sure hope so, man. I, <laughs> I'm just, I'm
1: getting sick of like all these, these just, you know, formula films that a lot of the studios are creating. It's like, I, I want to get into some like more sub genre stuff with, uh, with these, the, you know the more recent horror
0: films coming out exactly man that's why I'm so excited about talking with you tonight it seems like you uh, you really hit on something here um, with uh, reanimator that was your number three out of your top five films um, or at least in your top five um, yeah. that was uh you know done by the uh, legend Stuart Gordon um, now you were a former assistant of him right
1: Yeah, so I I worked for Stewart pretty briefly back in, I think it was 2009, and he, uh, I I met his daughter Jillian at a screening at the New Beverly, Stewart was there, and then I I was, I think I was working at a post house then, and I was just unhappy with it, and Stewart, you know, has been one of my heroes for several years, but I, I was like, you know, I should just call his office and see if he needs, like, an intern or something, and I did. And then he was like, uh, he's like, yeah, you know, come by and, uh, or come by tomorrow and let's talk. I was like, okay, cool. So I met up with him and I ended up, uh, just hitting it off with him very quickly. And we had a lot of the similar taste in, in film and, you know, got along well. And, uh, he gave me some scripts to read so I could do some coverage and, you know, I got back to him with the, the stuff of, that i liked and it lined up with his taste and he was like okay well like do you want to read some scripts for me and basically i was just working for him for free for you know a couple months not very long and then not soon after that i ended up getting a job on supernatural so uh yeah it, it i transitioned out of it pretty quickly but we've remained friends and i just had lunch with him last week so awesome. yeah.
0: has he seen your movie at all
1: yeah, he came to the he came to the second screening and he really dug it. Um,
0: that has it to be was, a big uh, confidence boost, huh?
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it's also too because I've shown him other shorts I've done, and some of them he's liked, and some of them he hasn't, and he's. He just won't lie if he doesn't like it. So I I was actually really nervous about him watching. I was like, man, if he doesn't like this, he's going to tell me.
0: Man, that's awesome, (laughs) too, to surround yourself with uh, that kind of people, you know, because there's so many yes men out there, you know. And uh, obviously he has enough clout where he's going to be like, no, that's shit, or "That that is awesome, you know.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like, it's usually, too, it's like if he doesn't dig something, he's always very, you know, smart about, giving you notes and feedback for why it doesn't work. And, you know, I mean, sometimes it's, like, sometimes it's just, like, not his his bag, but other times he has some, like, really on-point uh, ideas about how to make things better. And, you know, I just, I, I think he's a completely brilliant guy and uh, insanely underrated. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and you just mentioned Supernatural, man. I have uh, a lot of uh, friends in the group um here that uh, are huge supernatural fans um oh. how'd you how'd you uh, get into that project
1: uh it was very weird I, I basically i knew a writer uh this guy named ryan mod who was a, a writer on Battlestar galactica and I, I i went to like a movie night with him and a couple other people and i was like hey i'm looking for some kind of like writer's assistant gig and he You know was like okay well send me your resume and i'll see if i can find anything and so he sent it over to someone he knew at supernatural and they called me in for an interview pretty quickly afterward and it turned out i was like the only person who'd gone in on that show that knew anything about horror movies or liked them and so i it it just clinched the job for me immediately but uh yeah it was it was interesting it was like I, i honestly hadn't watched the show at all before i got that interview. And I I remember like looking at one of the D V D covers and it's you know, these like two supermodel dudes just blue stealing all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh man, this is like is this gonna be good and I watched the pilot and I was like, this is pretty rad and I, I ended up being really impressed with it and then watching later seasons of it, seeing some of the weird areas they took the show into. I was I was quite impressed with it um but yeah you know it was a good experience while I was there I I sold uh a story to them in season six which uh ended up being like a time travel oh, right on. yeah and that was that was pretty sweet and um you know I've stayed friends with some of the writers to this day and you know it's uh it was cool man it was uh it, it's a really interesting job, kind of working in that space, because you find out how many of these people have, or how many of the writers and showrunners or whatever have their own bosses that they have to answer to. So it's like it's uh, it's kind of interesting, but um, you know, ultimately, I think they they did some really good work on that show, and uh, I'm you know certainly happy to have it on my resume.
0: Yeah, for sure, man um and uh, tell me man you grew up in the like many of us did yeah uh, you grew up in the video store right
1: yeah pretty much i <laughs> uh i my parents you know they had a house like uh, less than a mile away from our, our local video store and just when i was um when i was younger it was like pretty much the high point of my week was like every friday they'd let me go and you know rent like one movie and one video game and you know i basically just uh look forward to that all week after school you know and uh it it ended up just opening my mind to so many different kinds of movies too i mean even then it was like there was a lot of stuff where you know i started going from i think like age five on and i i didn't end up um really getting into horror movies until a few years after that but it was, uh, it was just terrifying because like, I remember when I'd walk by, like the horror section was right at the front of the store, so you'd have to walk by it. And I would always like <laughs> kind of like looking over at it and I'd see like the cover to, you know, Friday the 13th part four, the final chapter. I'd be like, oh, my God, Jason has like a hunting knife in his eye. I was like, that's like so fucking scary. Yeah. And, and my mind would just sort of like race with all the possibilities for what those movies could be. And... I think when you're at that age, it's like they're just so much more powerful in your mind than they are into your adulthood because you, you just have you have more of a grasp of how these movies these are, you know, movies and they're, you know, these people aren't really getting killed, but, you know, like when you're when you're like eight or nine or Whatever and seeing it, it's like that shit is just insane. You're just like, they filmed this, and therefore that could really happen. Area, you're like, Jason's like probably like waiting in my house to murder me, and you know, it's uh, it's pretty interesting. But yeah, I had a lot of had a lot of good experiences in the video store. I worked in one for a couple of years in my late teens and early twenties, and um, you know, ended up being exposed to just some insane stuff there like i saw you know a bunch of monty hellman movies a bunch of scorsese flicks you know some stuff like virgin spring and you know all, all kinds of stuff that i kind of stemmed from like my obsession with horror
0: yeah for sure man i uh adventures in video land our, our uh, site it's actually based um off of um uh, my adventures in the video store as a kid man um uh, the video <laughs> store here in Indiana was called Video Land. So I was like, man, I'm going to do adventures in Video Land. I, I just remember walking past the shelves, man, and seeing like, you know, that the hand sticking out of the ground for, you know, Evil Dead. And, you know, like you mentioned oh, Jason and Freddy, man, my, my family was a uh, uh, or still is a, a very religious family. And I, uh, I remember skipping church. Right to to stay home and watch uh, Nightmare on Elm Street or Freddy's Dead and and just oh, going yeah. to the video store, man. It's like it's it's not the same. Netflix is great, man. They got some great stuff, and they're a juggernaut right now. But it's yeah. not the same as going to the the video store, man. I just love here. What was the video store uh, name uh, for you? Uh,
1: the, well, there, there were a couple, but the it, the main one was called Director's Share Video, which closed <laughs> probably like a decade ago. That that was I actually have worked at that pretty briefly and uh got fired because I, I just like wanted uh, like when i was working there i just ended up wanting to watch all the movies that were that like playing in the background <laughs> yeah you we were not cool with that apparently but uh <laughs> later on i ended up working at like uh, a hollywood video up in eugene oregon that had it had like the largest library of um uh, of movies like in the United States or something crazy. They just, they had an insane number. It was like 20,000. I mean, it was specific to Hollywood video, not like the largest in the country, but yeah, they they just had a massive library and I ended up seeing some, some really weird shit when I was (laughs) working there. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun.
0: Right on, man. Well, your movie, Beyond the Gates, it was selected for the Nightfall slot during the L.A. Film Festival. Uh, can you tell us what the uh, Nightfall slot is and your experience at that festival?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. So it was it's basically like the Nightfall award is they have each of these categories at that festival for, you know, whatever the... It, it's, I think they had like 44 movie, feature films there total that premiered. And, you know, there's like six horror movies that's under the nightfall category and then they have like you know a drama section a comedy section and you know a a, a couple other ones so I think there was like five or six total but uh basically I was in the horror section and it's you know selected uh by this this jury team and it's it was the one of the producers on it follows one of the producers on uh, a girl walks home alone at night and an acquisitions guy over at Paramount. And, uh, yeah, I mean, basically it was like, we ended up getting the award for that. I didn't prepare at all. Cause like, I just, it wasn't even a possibility that we were going to win. Like I basically just showed up to it. Like, if you look at pictures of it, like I'm
0: wearing a crappy Atari shirt and, <laughs> and, shave and take a shower <laughs> and, um,
1: I just look like complete crap, basically, but I, uh, you know, I I ended up going in there just to see some of my other friends that I bonded with uh, that had gotten movies into the festival, and I was like, oh, it'll be fun to hang out with them, and then they started announcing them, and the, I think it was the acquisitions guy, Paramount, started saying like, oh, well, the movie we selected, it's, you know, sort of a throwback to these 80s horror films while, like, adding some new layers to it, and this other stuff and I was like oh shit he's talking about my movie and I like immediately shut down didn't hear anything (laughs) he said after that and got super nervous and um uh you know it was it was really surreal it was just like the it's you know the first feature I've directed and I won you know a pretty cool award up against you know some some far more recognizable people and it was it was amazing
0: so and now you're going to uh, Fright Fest, uh, which is your European premiere. How pumped are you for that?
1: Uh, I can't even articulate it, dude. I've wanted. I, I went to that festival in, I think it was 2009 with uh, my friend Paul Solid. He had a movie called Grace there, and I was just like, holy shit, this is the coolest festival in the world. Because I mean, everyone in there is just like a hardcore horror fan, and they're just so into the movies and if they don't like it they'll fucking boo it (laughs) and if they do they'll you know cheer and you know just go crazy and they'll they'll love you forever it's like it was so so fun uh just seeing other movies there and I I love the three uh programmers who run it Ian Retray Alan Jones and and Paul McAvoy um and yeah, I mean it's just it's a really cool festival. It's like if you look at their lineup in recent years, it's like there's each year it's, they end up playing stuff that becomes like cult movies every time and uh they just have excellent taste and just they're amazing.
0: <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um now that we've teased you enough here, man, let's jump into like really getting into Beyond the Gates. Um I love the idea and just the plot of this. I haven't been able to see your movie yet, man. I can't wait. Um, but, uh, I, I love the plot. Can you tell our listeners about beyond the gates and what this movie is about?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, basically the movie opens with, uh, these, or, or well, I shouldn't say it opens, but the movie is about these two estranged brothers who have, um, they, their father's gone missing in recent months and they assume he's dead cause he had a, a big drinking problem. They return to their, their video store that they grew up in where it was basically the family business to, um, liquidate it, and while they're there, they end up finding an old VCR board game that, uh, has a connection to his disappearance, so it's a little bit like a horror Jumanji, is how I, I pitched it to people for a while, um, but, yeah, it's, it you know, it's got a little bit of the gate in it, a little phantasm, but it's, like, it's not cribbing directly from those movies the story's new and you know kind of goes into like a, a little bit more of like a mature area and you know puts a lot of the character stuff first it's um it was basically done to kind of give you the feeling of watching one of those movies that you would on that you'd find in like a friday night and you know like a, a vhs slip case at your local video store where you don't quite know what it's about, but you know, gives kind of a similar effect to it without directly lifting from it. I yeah. know that was too long-winded of an
0: answer. But. No, 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 that's that's good. That's good. Um, and I actually have a quote from you that I pulled. Um, it says, uh, "Story-wise, it was basically a grown-up version of The Gate, set against the backdrop of a dead video store." And yeah. uh, <laughs> after I after I read that, man, I was like, "Damn, man, that sounds like a lot of fun." You know. Yeah. So yeah, tell me about the how much uh, the the Gate is influences. I have always said that the Gate is another one of those just gems you know that nobody really talks about unless you're a horror fan you know but i think it's a crowd pleaser it's a fun little movie
1: yeah absolutely i mean that that's one of those films that a i cannot believe it didn't get an r rating (laughs) like watching it now because there's just some really disturbing shit in it yeah um the you know it, it has this cool thing with it where it's like um you know, Steven Dorff, and I, I can't remember the actor who, who plays, um, I think it's Terry, I can't remember, the kid with the glasses, I'm yeah. spacing its name right now, but they have this thing where, you know, Stephen Dorff is talking to his dad, and he says, you know, like, like oh, he's like kind of been mean to me lately, and he's like, well, you know, his mom died, and he's having a hard time, and it's like, he doesn't mean to take that out on you, and they get into some, like, real, you know, vulnerable stuff that a lot of these movies are... Wouldn't you know? Dare touch because it's like it has to be about set pieces or whatever. And I, I felt like it was so cool to give you like a strong emotional connection to you know the dad, Stephen Dorff, his friend, and basically every character in that movie. And all the all the sort of trappings in it, like them you know playing the record backwards that opens the the gate to hell. Like we we had something kind of like that, but you know still kind of pretty different and yeah I mean the main thing for for me was to kind of blend this like supernatural adventure horror movie with some real family dynamics that you don't always see in these movies so um, that you know I I just I think the gate is just so ridiculously underrated and um, I'm with you 100% on that
0: yeah who owns the rights to the gate do you even know
1: I think it's Lionsgate. I have a buddy who I, I have a buddy who works there, and it's like, when are they putting that out on Blu-ray? And he's like, ah, they're not giving it up. Or Or I, I thought like Scream Factory or one of these places should put it out, but they're they're apparently kind of picky with who they get the rights to.
0: Man, uh, you know, like later down the road here, man, if you could uh, write your own check, man, would you uh, even think about messing with the gate, or is that just one of those movies you just leave alone?
1: You know, maybe. If if it could be like a you know, a kind of stealth sequel or something, I, I would probably do it. I, I think uh I think there's a lot of stuff where it's a little more interesting now that we've all been seeing these movies for decades at this point to kind of honor the mythology of those movies and then maybe tell a new story around it using that versus just ditching everything and, you know, going ahead I mean, there, there's certainly a lot of movies where I feel like no matter what you do, you're probably gonna just do a disservice to whatever it is. Like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah, for yeah. me, kind of feels like that. Where you know, I mean, I, like maybe the the new one will be awesome, and I'll, I'll be totally wrong about that. But um, you know, it's just it it feels like the original's a perfect movie, and it's like the, you're only gonna kind of get diminishing returns from from that, and I mean, Jaws is kind of the same way, where you're like, what, "How are you going to top that?" <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Gate is certainly something where it's like, I feel like you could do another installment of, and I, you know, I, I would love to do something like that. Uh, it's yeah. So I hope I hope that answered it.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so why did you? Choose to tell this story beyond the gates. Um, is it supernatural horror? Your favorite subgenre? You have like you know Phantasm in there. We've talked a little bit about the gate.
1: Yeah. So you know, I mean, it was mainly it was a few different things. Like the the big one was I wanted to make a contained horror movie for a long time. Those sort of in the vein of like Phantasm or the Gate or the Beyond and you know, house by the cemetery and some of these other movies that I would just watch obsessively kind of like out of my own selfish desires to see another movie like that. Um, But it it was just one of these things where I felt like there was a big hole in that, that subgenre, where it's like, I just had not seen anyone really even like make an attempt with those types of movies. And, you know, like, 20 years. Like, I honestly, I can't really think of, like, the last adventure horror movie that, uh, you know, has been made uh, outside of the 1980s. So, uh, you know, that, that was a big thing, and there was a lot of thematic ideas about alcoholism, addiction, and transcending the father that I'd had kind of spinning in my head for a few years, where it was like, God, it'd be really cool to find some some way to put these in a horror movie, and I just never quite had the right engine. It would always just feel like it was sort of a generic haunted house thing, or you know, it was just like too well-worn territory. And um, you know, I ended up meeting Steve Scarlata, who was one of the producers on Jodorowsky's Dune, and we we hit it off immediately. And we're like, okay, well, let's let's go get coffee because we uh, we met at like a friend's birthday party or something. And Steve. And I just started talking about our different projects that no one else in the world was interested in. And Steve was like, you know, I always thought it'd be cool to do a movie about like a VCR board game that these guys find at a video store that opens the, the gates to hell or, or like that opens a gateway to another dimension. I can't remember exactly how he he referred to it. And I was like, that's the best idea I've ever heard. We need to start writing on that today. And so basically, I at that point would we like went home and started writing it immediately and you know I think we had a draft about six weeks later and then using that I ended up going to a lot of different financiers and raising the money um, but we ended up just writing on it pretty much non-stop even through production you know it was it was just like we never really in a weird way it's like we kind of like never really finished it we did you know, probably like 16 drafts or, or, you know, something like that. But, um, we were still just tweaking it constantly. And then even into reshoots, it was like, we, we ended up, you know, reshooting a scene later on and, you know, tweaked a few things to, um, better adhere to the movie. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And you're so right about, uh, just certain subgenres. you know, they don't get, uh, they're not being done like they should. Um, a friend and I, a friend of mine, And myself, we've been saying for years, man, I want to see a period piece haunted house movie so fucking bad, man. Like there's some great (laughs) mansions out there. You know, there's some great uh, uh, locations that this stuff could be filmed at probably on a pretty decent budget. And it's like, where are these movies? You know, I want to see a a haunting or a um, a hell house or, or something in that vein. But something that's scary and practical in camera on real location. Um, and not to badmouth anybody's movie, but I wasn't a big fan of uh, Crimson Peak. Um, uh, you know, I, I
1: still haven't seen it yet, but I, I've heard
0: that from a few people. Yeah, and it's just because I, I want, I mean, yeah, they built this place, but it looked like, I mean, there's so many camera effects and everything in this. Like, there's so many real locations that we could go to to, to film this yeah. epic movie. It's like, man, I want a Haunted House movie so bad, man. Yeah, me too,
1: dude. It, it's, you know, I think it's, I think maybe we might turn. I'm hoping that'll be, like, the next big trend is using, you know, some of these more gothic, like, castles or what have you that... They, I just feel like we haven't seen one of the... I mean, like, honestly, the last one I can think of that had something like that was maybe, like, Night of the Demons. You yeah, know, and right. That, I think that's, like, a set. But, um, actually, you know what, like Castle Freak, even though it's technically not a haunted house movie, it had one of those kinds of locations, but... Um yeah, I, I'm with you hundred percent there's just it, that's such a cool genre and I feel like no one taps into it now maybe I, like I, I don't quite know why
0: I think I think it might be because Liam Neeson's uh the haunting I think that really screwed yeah. it for us <laughs> yeah, I guess, and maybe people just turned on it up they're to, like fuck this subgenre for like two decades <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: maybe maybe someone will... Well, bring it back i'm not sure who but yeah i'm, I'm with you 100
0: well what influenced the title beyond the gates
1: it was a couple things it was initially steve um i we did when we started we just started calling it vcr board game that was obvious like that was obviously never going to be the title but we're like whatever we just need to start working on it we'll throw that on until we think of something better i
0: was gonna say the financiers were probably like uh, what are we gonna fucking call this Yeah, well, I think it didn't last very long. I
1: think it was like once we had a draft, we'd come up with the title. But it was – Steve came up with the name uh, Beyond the Nightmare because I'd been talking about the Beyond a lot. And then there's, you know, the VCR board game Nightmare. So he was like, oh, we should just combine those two. And I was like, like, it still felt a little off to me. And then I got – I just had the Beyond and the Gate in my head, and I was like, let's just call it Beyond the Gates. <laughs> I was like, it's it's exactly what it is. Like, just, well, we'll lean into it, yeah. and then, you know, if people get it, cool. And it's also, it just sounded like a cool
0: title. No, it's me. fucking badass title, man. And it, it's like, <laughs> it, that's not used? That's not, that surprises me, man. That's a great title.
1: It's, it, it's crazy. You know, I think there's, like, one, There, I think there's... There's a Wishmaster movie. I think it's called like Wishmaster 3 and it's called it's like Wishmaster 3 Beyond the Gates of Hell or uh-huh. something. But apart from that, and then there's like another one that's called like beyond the gates but it's like a religious film or something from like 2005. Wow. But um or I it's something in Africa. I can't really Or no no no, it's called Beyond the Gates of Splendor. I thing. But anyway, um Totally, totally different. But, yeah, I was really shocked no one had used that title because I just heard it and I was like, that is such a fucking awesome title. Oh, yeah, for
0: sure. And this is your first feature film, correct? You said that earlier? Yes, sir. Did everything turn out like you envisioned it?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, for the most part, it's always weird watching this stuff because you end up... um, It's just bizarre. It's like you end up being there for every second in every decision of it so you know at first it's like you're kind of like making decisions very piecemeal throughout throughout it where you're like okay like oh this is a little off or like you know like get you know put a little more energy into this or like you're a little more angry or whatever you know just like minor directorial things with the actors or you know affects people where you're like more blood blah blah, blah 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 you know just there's a lot of small stuff like that where you're almost acting like a janitor just trying to clean the thing up to your vision, you know? But, um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, I'd say it came out like 75, 80% of what I had in my head. You know, it, it always ends up being like when you're shooting this stuff, there's stuff you just can't get or run out of time or, or what have you. And, you know, especially when you're doing something on a budget, It's uh, you you really have to have a solid plan going in. And with me, like I spent, you know, probably six months in in pre-production working on it and talking to the effects people, finding like the perfect locations, because you, you really can't afford this stuff. It's like if you don't if you don't have the money, you need the time in order to do it properly. So knowing that, I was like, I have to start looking for this stuff now, get everything as right as I can. And then, you know, go into it guns blazing. But, um.
0: Now, was yeah. all this on location in L.A. then?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah. All, all, and, and initially, I think we were planning on shooting it in Oregon. And, uh, my friend Hank Weintraub, who he's a. Uh, he works at shout Fa- or Scream Factory, rather, um, in the DVD
0: department. Which, or which I gotta part. give a shout out to them, man. Scream Factory has their shit locked down, man. Like, it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, right on. Do. I, I love
1: that company. I actually just bought that Return of the Living Dead Blu-ray of theirs, and I, that company is amazing. Oh, That's man. Awesome. I got to give
0: a shout-out, too, real quick to uh, Gary Smart. Have you ever heard of Gary Smart? I don't think so. Oh, no. my God, dude. When you're done with me, man, Google his company, Colt Screenings. It's in um, uh, the UK. Uh, man, you, you brought up Return of the Living Dead. They did um, the Return of the Living Dead documentary, More Brains. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Leviathan documentary on Hellraiser. Uh, they're currently shooting in L.A. right now. Actually, they're shooting uh, the RoboCop documentary. So they uh, they do some Shoot. great things, man. So yeah, check them out.
1: Oh, awesome! That sounds fantastic. I'll, I'll, I'll look him up. But um, but yeah, Hank. Uh, he he worked for Stream Factory, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm interested in producing this." He you know made a few of his own features up there and he was like hey um i'm having a baby i can't do this now (laughs) and i was like oh (laughs) shit all right i I obviously understood that and then i talked to graham and chase and bria and i think i was like hey you know i was like i don't know how practical it's going to be to shoot up in oregon even though i kind of wanted that small town uh northwestern vibe and they were like you know like if you could shoot here." we'd be way more into that. And I was like, oh, all right, fine. So I, I, I knew there would, that'd would be a little harder because locations are just so much more expensive here and much harder to find. So, uh, I ended up having to basically like go and knock on people's doors after looking at 3000 locations or something. Oh, wow,
0: how'd you settle on the video store?
1: You know, I'd actually been going there for years and the, the, um, owner is this guy donovan brandt and i'd just been running from them forever and i that was sort of the video story i had in my head when i was writing it but they um i was like god i don't know if they're gonna let me shoot in here because they have really weird hours and they're you know like they basically are, are open five days a week you know from they have like it's like five hours on Tuesday through Friday, and then eight hours on Saturday, and then they're closed on Sunday and Monday. And so it was like, I don't know if they're gonna let me shoot here. And I basically just asked, I was like, hey, uh, you know, I need to shoot in here for this many days. Is there any possibility of doing that? And they were like, yeah, we could probably work that out. I talked to the owner, he's like, sure, tell me when how much and then you know they're really flexible on the price which was great but it just helped being like a loyal customer to these people because they knew i wasn't just some dickhead coming in there (laughs) you know getting ready to like ruin all their stuff
0: (laughs) that's hilarious man
1: (laughs) yeah um but yeah i mean loyalty goes a long way with this stuff so you know i was i was really happy i uh i i got that location and you know, the store is still in operations. It's a really cool place. I highly recommend anyone so when in the Los Angeles area. Check it out.
0: When you go beyond the gates, what did you use there? I mean, um, for a set. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, or, or was know, this, does this fall into trade secrets? No, it, <laughs> it, I'll, I'll, I'll reveal it. It was just, it was,
1: that was one of those things that was really tough because we basically, we were trying to find this basement in Los Angeles, which is, an impossible task. Um, we, I spent so long looking for one, and I, I basically spent as long as I did looking for the house as I did looking for a basement, and it it was at least six months or something of just you know day in and day out effort, and you know occasionally I'd get like a couple leads for someone be like, oh I have one. Or, and then you'd go into it and the thing is like 10 feet, you know, like on either side. And you're like, you can't stage an action scene in this. So um, basically what happened was my line producer, Nicole Flores, she recommended this, uh, this like shooting space that they'd used in another movie. She was like, you know, if you bring a set builder in here, they can probably pull it off. Which that was really worrisome to me because I really wanted everything to just be as real as possible, and avoid that that stuff, you know. But ultimately, it ended up working, which was nice. We had a guy come in and built a staircase, and, you know, we kept the lights pretty low, so you can't totally tell it's not a real basement. But basically, I just wanted it to look kind of like the Beyond or the Fog or Fright Night or one of these movies. Oh, uh, uh,
0: you just mentioned my number one favorite movie of all time, Fright Night, my <laughs> man. Oh,
1: yeah, it's pretty awesome. We actually, uh, to brag really quickly and be a horrible name dropper, um, we, we got some like notice a, like a, a month or a few weeks back that Tom Holland watched it and he put a, something up on Facebook where he was like, great movie, or like he, he loved it or something, which I was like, how the fuck did he see that? Like, I, I, It was really puzzled because I didn't know how he'd gotten a copy of it. And it turned out um, this guy, Josh Goldblum, who... Is one of the programmers for Bruce Campbell's festival. He sent it over to him, and he. I was like, "Oh, I was like, dude, that's fucking awesome." I was like, yeah, it's badass. Yeah, it was like it was amazing. I I love the original. Right, I actually kind of like the sequel too, and I I think the remake's cool. Um, that you know the second Fright Night two remake or whatever. I'm not so into, but you know the. The three other ones, I, I, I really dig it. I think it's such a smart idea, and, um, you know, Evil Ed is uh, amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and again, man, check out Colt Screenings, dude. Uh, they're doing, they just um, finished, they're in post right now on the Fright Night documentary, a four-hour documentary on Fright Night 1 and 2. It uh, launches in October. Whoa. So, yeah, really? it's, yeah hey, bad badass, man. What's the name of it? It's just called the Fright Night documentary? It's called, no, it's called uh, um, You're So Cool, Brewster. Oh, awesome yeah uh, great title too uh
1: yeah I'll, i will i will be on the lookout for that
0: yeah so you're uh the cinematography that you 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 have going on here is like a, that very 80s tone um and you're talking about how you wanted the, the look of the fog and you know uh fright night what challenge did you uh face to get these visuals right
1: you know it, it was it was weird because a lot of the lighting stuff i mean it, it more came down to stuff with the lighting in it which um You know, we had like this really specific plan, Brian Sowell and I, he's the cinematographer, but we were like, we need to stick within the constraints of how those movies were made back then. And we can have like a few modern flourishes there, but like the the biggest, or like the most baseline point we had was that it could not be treated as a joke no matter what. It's like stuff can end up being kind of funny or whatever if like the situation's right, or like a character does something funny, but We didn't want to move into this sort of like spoof territory, like a lot of, not a lot of, but some recent, you know, horror throwback movies have done where they're like, look how dumb the 80s were because this guy had a stupid haircut. Yeah. Um, Like that stuff is just excruciating for me to sit through. And so Brian and I, we were watching, you know, Poltergeist, The Gate, uh, Phantasm, The Fog, The Beyond. And we were basically just going through it and picking out all of our our stuff that we really liked in those movies and then trying to adhere that into the the narrative in kind of an interesting way while picking up you know a couple other movies that were outside of the horror genre that had influenced us so like one of the this this is a really odd one but this movie called the ipcrest file was one of the ones we were looking at a lot because they do this thing where each of the characters are kind of like blocked off in a specific way from from the other. And I was like, this would be really cool to do this with the two brothers to kind of show their estrangement a little bit visually. So they're like, there's always something like between them in each shot or, you know, in almost every shot, it's like, there's something blocking them. And, you know, we, we were just trying to think about it on sort of a different level like that. And, um, you know, using those constraints is what kind of got the the result, which I, I feel like is why people are, are responding to it.
0: Oh, for sure. Are all your effects in camera?
1: Yes. Um, I mean there's there's a few like minor ones that you'd never notice. Like there's some ones of like, you know, the game piece like moving across the board where we'd have to use a green stick, which is basically like a VFX thing where, you know, someone can roto it out in um in posts. But it's not very much different from what was done in the 80s you know um those those are really the only ones like all the gore is exactly what was on set we were like i just refuse to ever do any cgi blood or anything like that it just it looks horrible every time yeah and i hope Um, you
0: stick with that man because uh yeah it's so it's so bad i remember watching um it was island of the dead george romero's um uh last uh, outing and I, I heard him talking about, you know, squibs blowing up on set and, you know, when squibs blow up, you know, you, you have, you know, the, uh, the, all the, the fake blood on the actors and if the shoot didn't go right, then you had to clean them up and it just, you know, takes you, you know, more hours, more days to complete your project. And I'm like, yeah, but, oh my God, it's so worth it because there's so much fake CG, you know, that's, that's there in fake blood and, and I'm like, man, let's get back to the squibs, you know.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the thing, too, is it's like, yeah, it's a huge pain in the ass to do that on set, because it's like, oh, if, if you know, like, if you're shooting someone in the face with blood, and they have a white shirt on, that doesn't totally hit them in the right way, it's like, okay, well, they have to go and wash off their face, put on a new shirt, it takes for fucking ever, because, you know, the makeup person has to come in and do it again, but ultimately, it's like, okay, that's gonna maybe cost, like, 30, 40 minutes of time, versus, like... Someone spending hours and hours and hours on it and ultimately like never getting it anywhere near close to what the effect would have been if they just done it on set right then. So it's like, yeah, it's a pain, but it's like you're never going to match that. Or I mean, at least now it's like we certainly don't have the tools to get it looking the way it does if you just did it, it right there. So it's like there's no reason not to. It's yeah. like I don't care how little time you have. Like you can figure it out and find a way to do
0: it. Exactly, you know, man. Like the thing and Fright Night, they don't hold. They, they hold up today because they they weren't fucking around. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, they, they went and they they, they put a, their art form to the movie and it still holds up today. You know, it's so powerful. And and these people today, man, it's like some of them, a lot of people are messing around. Where it's just like, man, just take your time and and let's get back to some of these practical effects.
1: Well, it's also, too, you know, I, a buddy of mine would say this, but it's like a bad practical effect will still look a hundred times better than, like, most of the good CG ones I've seen. You know, it's like I can't think of a good CG blood effect I've ever witnessed. No, America. no. <laughs> like, And it's like even if it's something, you know, like, uh, you know like gore horror which is this like shot on video movie from you know like the mid-90s where it's like it's all practical effects it's like yeah the, the effects don't look amazing but it's like it's still way fucking cooler than something like you know uh like the Sing remake from you know 2011 oh, where yeah. like where it's just like like what are you guys doing dude
0: yeah <laughs> like, no shit man awful. it's like if you're gonna use uh you know digital effects you know then use it as a tool and, and don't use it to create your whole fucking world, you know? oh,
1: absolutely.
0: Use yeah, it as I, a tool.
1: Yeah, because I mean that was that was the thing we had with it was like if there's anything we can do on set and in camera, like there's no excuse not to do it. It's like I mean, there's stuff that comes up where it's like removing you know telephone lines in the background, which no, I defy anyone who watches the movie to point out where those were. <laughs> Because it's like you can't tell. It's like you're never going to see those in a million years, and they're a very. Those are very subtle things to do. That it, it's just like you're. You're never going to notice. But um, you know, apart from those, if it's gore, it's just there's no excuse. You have to do it for real. Like it's. It's inexcusable, otherwise. Yeah,
0: I'm very happy to hear you say that, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how long was your shoot?
1: Uh, you know. It, it was a little weird because we had to shoot a couple things with Barbara beforehand because we had, you know, like like with the gore effects, we wanted to show her on the TV interacting with the guys on set so they would have something to play off. So we had to shoot her stuff before the actual shoot, which that took a couple days. Um, and then, you know, the main shoot was... 16 days and then we had two more days after that for pickups and like a a reshoot so i mean all in all it was about 20 days
0: okay and i think i mean i love tight shoots like that because i think that uh you probably probably had to work your ass off didn't you yeah yeah (laughs) yeah And I think I think there's some good results that come out of that, man. Like I just finished a, a marathon, um, actually a, a three way, um, a Pam Grier three way, which was awesome last night. We did Foxy Brown, Coffee, and Jackie Brown. Uh, trying, <laughs> yeah, trying that's, to find out, you know, moment. what is the best Pam Grier movie, you know? And it was funny. We were looking up Coffee and we we're looking up um, Foxy Brown, and these movies were made like in twelve days, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, it. Well, the thing too that I feel like so many people forget is like sam fuller made shot corridor in 10 days yeah. you know and it's like that that's a classic film granted i think if you can get more days you absolutely should and there's certain things where it's like obviously like you can't shoot you know star wars 8 in 10 days <laughs> Yeah, you know? right. but like there's certain stuff where it's like look if it's like two people in you know a house or something like yeah like just fucking make it you
0: yeah know? yeah How long did it take you to write the script then?
1: Uh, So Steve and I met in, I'm trying to remember exactly. I think it was like we started writing it in May of 2014. And then I was like gathering financing while Chodorowsky's Dune was hot. And it looked like that was going to land on the Oscar nomination list, which ultimately it didn't. It landed on the Oscars short list of like, think it was like 15 movies or something um but I was using that as fuel to tell these financiers like hey uh you know I I co-wrote this movie with this guy who's gonna get an Oscar nomination and basically they were like cool and so they all all jumped on it which like you kind of I think with your first movie it's like you just have to get it made no matter what it's like however however much money you can um just end up just do it, you know? And with us, it was like, it was, it was, it was basically like we wrote it for 10 or 11 months and then got a draft. that was mostly what you will see in the final movie. And, you know, started, uh, getting people on board. Like we got, you know, chase Williamson, uh, Bria Grant, Matt Mercer, um, uh, Graham Skipper, Jesse Merlin, um, you know, a handful of other of other fun genre people, and then Barbara came on, kind of at the last minute. She came on first as a producer, but uh, but yeah. So the uh, short answer is, it was a little less than a year for how long it took us to write it.
0: Right on. Um, are you a gamer at heart, or did you do have to do a lot of research on the horror board games?
1: You know, I I. I knew what they were. I was not super, well, I, I won't lie, like I didn't grow up playing those or anything. I remember when they were coming out and I remember seeing them. Um, and I always had like an affinity for board games. Like I love Clue and Monopoly and you know, a lot of bigger ones like, you know, Life or Sorry or whatever. But um, I I hadn't really played any of the VCR board games. So I just remember seeing them and being like, oh, that's, I was like, this seemed cool. And then they, they kind of went away very quickly. And Steve, on the other hand, was, like, much more into those. Uh, Like, he played them, uh, he played, like, everyone he could get his hands on. Um, I was more into, like, the, like, horror video games. Like, you know, Castlevania and Friday the 13th for Nintendo and, like, Splatterhouse and stuff like that. Um, So, yeah.
0: And uh, Castlevania 2, did that, I read somewhere that that was a big inspiration
1: yeah, it is actually. It's a uh, it's a very weird one because most people think that's like a most people wrongly think that's a terrible game, which uh, is they're hundred percent wrong about. It's a great game, but it's it was basically like I, I think that they did something really fascinating in it with uh, you have to like get information from these townspeople in it, and the, it, all the information is through these kind of like dense, abstruse riddles that you have to figure out, like, what they mean in order to progress in the game and, like, find these specific, you know, or find these, like, bones in order to put Dracula back together and kill him again. So, um, yeah, I I love that game. And I just, I I feel like, too, we also kind of, I I wanted the board game to sort of reflect like certain backgrounds in Castlevania too. as weird as that sounds. Like, there's, like, a graveyard, um... That's pretty spooky in it, and then you know, forest. And I just wanted it to be like Clue combined with like a spooky Castlevania background, or like the opening titles of that movie Mad Men.
0: Dude, that's like so badass, one. man. Ah, that's yeah. cool. <laughs> that's so cool. Um, yeah. so take us through your writing process, man. I'm so interested. Every time I talk to somebody, it's like everyone has different writing processes. You know, it's like uh, are yeah, you the morning guy? You get up, you grab your coffee. Are you a night writer? I mean, t- tell us your process.
1: It's a little weird. It's basically like I have a hard and fast rule that no matter what, I'll write every day, but it's also, it's somewhat flexible. It's like I, I end up typically writing, you know, two to four hours a day, no matter what. I'd like even if it's Christmas or something, I'll, I'll find a couple hours to break away. But, uh, you know, it's it's either like late morning or late afternoon normally, depending on if I have like meetings or something I have to do or just other errands I need to get taken care of uh, but yeah you know and and the other thing too is like working with Steve when we were doing that we were basically like meeting three times a week for you know five hours a day or so and then we'd be like okay like each day we were like alright tomorrow we're just going to go home and like I'm going to work on this you're going to work on that and then you know we'd meet up the day after that, see what we came up with and, you know, just kind of bounces back and forth between each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's basically it. It's like, I just have like a rule of, of sticking to, you know, a handful of hours, no matter what. And as far as like what time it happens, it's a little more loosey goosey as long as it gets done.
0: With a co-writer and a few producers, how much of your own personality made it into the, the shooting script? Uh, I, I
1: mean, I, <laughs> I, I don't want to sound egotistical, but I, I feel like a pretty good amount. You know, this is this is one of these movies where uh, we watched it with uh, Dave Bruckner, who's one of the directors of VHS, and uh, Southbound, and um, my buddy Alistair LeGrand, who did this movie, The Diabolical, that, that came out a little while ago that's pretty cool. But... Um, they both were like, yeah, you really come through with this movie. And I, the stuff I always like is where you can watch it and feel like the, the a sense of authorship over it. You know, I'm not as into this stuff where it's like it feels like sort of interchangeable or like there's no voice to it. Like, the, you know, it, as weird as it sounds, there's guys like Curtis Hanson and, you know, Don Siegel and some of these dudes who are, you know, from kind of a different era um, or, or a different style of filmmaking anyway. But it's like you still feel their stamps on those movies. And, you know, same goes with a guy like William Friedkin or Scorsese or Sam Raimi or Carpenter, you know, and there's there's a lot of other directors where I think they'll make good movies, but you don't feel their you know, like you don't feel their DNA on it.
0: Yeah. You know? yeah.
1: So, um, so, I mean, I always just wanted to be one of these people. It's like it feels like whatever stuff you watch from me, it's like you can tell it came from me.
0: Yeah, that's right on. Um, was there any last minute changes or scenes that you wish you could have filmed, but you just didn't have the time or you had to change it for budget reasons or whatever?
1: You know, not really, because, I, I mean, there, there was sort of a motif we had with uh, these, like, kind of God's eye view things we were going to do for each time. It would find, like, a new key, because the, the movie's basically about these, the brothers have to, like, find these four keys for the board game and put each of them down in order to, you know, uh, open up the gates. And then as a result, you know, return to their world. It's like, it's, you know, pretty, pretty crazy. But, um, the, the idea we wanted was like each, or the idea I wanted was each time they find a key, you have to like, you would go over to this, uh, God's eye view where they would basically look like pieces on a board game where it'd be very small, you know? And, um, uh, I, yeah, I don't know if I articulated that properly, but we had one shot in the movie like that when they find the first key, which we shot on our first day. And it just, it was so time consuming and hard to get that we were like, we can't like, we we're like, we're going to not finish this movie. if We keep doing this. So we ended up, we got the one shot in there, which I think is cool. I wish we'd gotten three or four more like that, but, uh, you know, ultimately it's like, I don't, I don't think, um, Apart from like a handful of shots, I wish I'd grabbed. There, there isn't too much else I,
0: I I miss in it. Well, let's talk about your cast for a minute. I don't want to shortchange them at all. Your cast has been in movies like John Dies in the End, The Guest, Halloween 2, Reanimator. Um, <laughs> was it the plan to pull all these recognizable faces um, into your movie? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, kind of. It was. It's basically like a lot of them have just become... I've become friends with them over the years so you know it was like Bria Grant who was in Halloween 2 I remember just going and seeing that movie in the theaters and then seeing her in it and I was like oh it's like this was like this girl seems really cool and then I, like, I just thought she was a good actor and then I ended up meeting her not long after that a couple months later and um, you know she just became a friend and I ended up basically writing the role for her and you know same thing with chase Williamson just because he he's like an awesome friend and like an amazing actor and I just feel like he he brings so much thought and uh, personality into the role and you know I I honestly couldn't picture anyone else playing that that character besides him but you know I mean it's I guess in in a subconscious way maybe it's deliberate but it's also too it's like if Chase had never been in a movie, and I, I'd known him and known what he was capable of. I would have cast him anyway. So it's it's um, it's sort of I guess it's a mixture of, of both, but it ended up being really cool to have you know guys that were in uh, you know John Dies at the end, um, uh, Halloween Two, Reanimator, The Signal, and you know The uh, Signal
0: Man uh, is another underrated film.
1: Oh yeah, the signal's awesome. I I love that movie.
0: <laughs> well, how did you get Barbara Crampton in your first feature?
1: Um, so it, she, it, it, it's kind of similar to that, but she basically, I met her at a, a reading a, or a performance of ReAnimator the musical where she was just in the audience. And she started following me on Twitter or something that week really randomly, which I I don't know why she did that, but it was cool. And I was like, oh, hey, we follow each other on Twitter. And she was like, oh, hey, and like gave me a big hug. And then we just ended up bonding really quickly for some reason. And I guess she just liked me. And, you know, as we were putting the movie together, uh, I ended up asking her to come on as a producer and she, she'd she been interested in that for a little while and I was like, hey, well, you know, this thing's about to go. Do you want to come on and take a crack at it? And she was like, yeah, absolutely. And so um, she read the script and basically we had another actor that we filmed her role with originally, which didn't end up working out. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to name who it was and was certainly no fault of theirs. It just... You know, the footage didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. But um Barbara they, that actor became unavailable and I asked Barbara, I was like or I I'd rather I had the thought, I was like, you know, Barbara's sort of the perfect connective tissue between this movie and like the eighties supernatural films that it's referencing. Oh yeah. And, for I sure. mean, especially like from beyond. It's like we basically completely rip off the lighting scheme from the end of that movie uh in the end of our movie. So, um you know, I basically just asked her, and she she agreed, and, you know, I think she did a phenomenal job with it, and it's it's pretty different from a lot of the other roles you've seen her in. She's very menacing and evil. There's, like, no <laughs> – there's no kindness whatsoever in uh, her character.
0: Yeah, I love some of the references, too. Like, I was reading an interview with Barbara, and she said that uh, you had her reference Black Sunday and Black Narcissist. Uh, did these two references impact any of the scenes?
1: Yeah. Well, a little bit. I mean, it was it was more like I wanted her I wanted the the VCR game to basically be what the 80s version of a throwback would be. So, my natural go-to for that was like Mario Bava's Black Sunday. It's one of my favorite movies, and I was thinking I was like, "Well, what would their version of it be?" And I was like, "You know, it'd probably be like some kind of like Barbara Steele type host." And it just as soon as that idea happened in my head if like you know it informed the board game and a bunch of other stuff but um I mean it wasn't quite in that order but it was basically like we I had the idea of doing a Black Sunday themed board game and it, as far as her characters she was watching you know Barbara Steele and um uh Sister Ruth in Black Narcissist, which um, is a really cool Powell and Pressburger. Yeah,
0: movie. I'm actually working on a marathon here very soon where we're going to be watching Red Shoes, uh, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, A Matter of Life and Death, which is f- fucking awesome. Yeah, oh, cool. so it was really <laughs> cool to hear you, uh, you know, say uh, let's reference Black Narcissist.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, it's such an awesome movie too, but it, it uh. Yeah, so I mean, I had her watch that to kind of get in that headspace a little bit, but it was also, too, like, while we were filming, I I wanted to keep her as far away from watching the VCR game stuff, because I feel like a lot of the hosts in those, it's like they're so over the top. Oh, yeah. And and I was like, I want to make sure it's, like, menacing and scary, and that she approached it from a point of almost being, like, a queen commanding her subjects, you know? And uh, that that was the main idea there, and she she really brought a lot of gravitas to it that I think a younger actress probably would not have been able to.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm probably most excited for that. I can't wait to see that, man. I think that's going to be fantastic. Um, I love the Thank post you. Yeah, no problem, man. I love the posters for this movie too. How much uh, input did you have on the design?
1: Uh, I mean, it was like a hundred percent, dude. It was <laughs> it was basically like. I, I love these old Italian posters from the 80s. Like, there, there's this one for, um, I mean, this movie's not amazing, but it, it's pretty cool, called uh, Paganini Horror. But it, it's it has just the fucking best poster. And I remember seeing that, and I was like, God, it'd be so cool to, like, combine some of this Italian stuff with what happens in the movie. So I it's like, I like taking these things we're kind of paying homage to, but doing something a little different with it. And so the idea we had, um, I collaborated pretty closely with this guy named Brendan Whiff, who, uh, is a a good friend of mine and a really talented artist, but he, he was, uh, he was the dude who like painted, um, you know, Bria and Graham and Chase and, and Barbara and, We were like you know it'd be really cool to have them coming through the gates and like walking over the board game and then stepping onto this vhs tape and uh you know have barbara on the tv like watching over them like in sort of like a godlike presence and uh you know we use like the actual pieces of of the game on on it and then we have like a bunch of sort of like weird beyond you know type ghouls in the background with some spooky trees so I mean it's basically like it you know if, if we had like a hundred million dollars I think you know the ending of the movie would probably look exactly like that but um we didn't so yeah <laughs> it's uh but I think I think it still ends up being cool and it almost like fits the 80s mold a little bit more because you know a lot of those were still being done on somewhat of a budget
0: yeah, is there any plans on ever trying to sell any of these posters sometime or what? I mean, it's it's a sick design, man. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to. I'm going to be giving away a few at Fright Fest. It's, um, you know, I mean, the main ones we're trying to do right now is, like, I, I have a handful of things we're working on. Like, we're trying to work on a some kind of, like, limited VHS tape release, like, with a slip case
0: Suite. Oh, sweet.
1: Yeah, and then um, we talked about maybe trying to do the board game and filming some new stuff with Barbara for that, so you could actually play it at home. And then, trying to think if there was... And then we wanted to do these sort of, like, older, like, reaction figures with, you know, uh, Graham Chase and and Bria, and, you know, have Barbara on the TV or something. But, um, yeah, we definitely want to do the posters, too. I, I, I should probably just, you know, set up a printing press and start selling those, because, like, the reaction we've gotten to those has just been insane. Like, I cannot... Believe how into that
0: people have been. Yeah, well, what are some other dream projects that you have, man? Is there going to be a sequel to this? Um, what's going on in the future for you?
1: Yeah, you know, so I mean, right now, I it's funny you mentioned a sequel. I actually do have one that I, I wrote a draft of that Steve helped me with the uh, the story on, but it's basically like the it, it takes sort of like a Temple of Doom type of thing with it, where it. it very quickly like throws you off the access of what the previous movie was and then um kind of abandons a lot of the familiarities of that but it would be uh, the what the little bit i can give away is like all the surviving people from the original would be back in it and chase would uh his character john would end up becoming the protagonist pretty early on in the movie so um it would be him and a new female character as they go on a new adventure so it, it would almost be like a little bit more in the vein of um the beyond or some of these full movies where it's like a guy and a girl you know going on some some trying to solve some type of mystery so yeah.
0: so is that what you're currently on or is that so you said that's finished uh it's like a first draft
1: uh, yeah, I've got have got a draft of that, and then we're gonna see how this movie does, and if we can do another one of those. And then the there's another one I have right now called The Day After Halloween, which would be sort of like uh, so, sort of a riff on slasher movies. So basically, pick up from what would happen to the final girl after she's killed, like a Michael Myers or a Jason Voorhees or one of these guys, and examining her psychological space and what that does to her after the movie. And it ends up being somewhat of a, you know, Dark Half, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story, which uh, there's there's not enough evil twin movies also.
0: I, I, <laughs> Drew, you're a big fan of Dark Half, right?
1: Yeah, oh, I love that movie. I almost put that on my, my top five, which uh, I feel like I probably would have been skewered by some people if I did that. But <laughs> I just, I've, I've watched that movie so many times, and I, I just think it's absolutely genius. That actually is another one that if I had the chance to do an adaptation of that, I absolutely would, because it's, um, I feel like with a lot of stuff that's like based on books, it's not quite the same as, as like remaking a classic. And I also feel like you, um, they missed kind of an, or I don't want to say they missed, but I feel like it'd be really interesting to have a version of that where in the book, it's basically like George Stark and that um, Beaumont are they're not identical twins. Like they look very similar, but they're, they're two different guys. You know, one of them's blonde and the other has dark hair. And it's basically like one has recessive features and the other doesn't. And I've always thought it was like, God, it'd be so awesome if they had that movie. And they were like, it, like if they made the dark half with, you know, Michael Rooker playing George Stark and, you know, um, Timothy Hutton playing fat Beaumont, it could have been, um, I think it, that would have been really cool too. I think, Timothy Hutton does an amazing job, um, but I, you know, I just I, I'd like to see something like that where it's like the person almost looks exactly like them, but just a little off. Um, yeah, that's my. That would that would that's probably like my dream project, though.
0: Right on, and someone who's so close to the horror genre as yourself, uh, where do you think the future of horror is heading?
1: Uh, you know, it, it's we're into sort of a weird spot right now um, because it's like uh, it, it's like we're, we're I don't know how to put it but it's like there's not a big movement happening right now and it feels like every you know 7 to 10 years it'll be like okay well here's like the teen sort of you know self referential meta slasher movies of the 90s And then there's the torture porn movies, and then there's, you know, the found footage stuff. And recently, it doesn't feel like we have any kind of movement toward any of that. So I'm actually really curious what the next kind of big thing is going to be. It's like, I I don't feel like, um, I thought for a minute it was maybe going to be like home invasion movies because of. You're Next and, and The Guest, or not The Guest, sorry, You're Next and um, The Purge and uh, a few of these other movies. But ultimately, it feels like that kind of fizzled out. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm going to be curious. Whoever cracks it, though, I'm sure is going to make a lot of money.
0: Yeah, I want someone to just ha- start having fun again with horror. You know, it seems like um, torture porn is not my thing. You know, I just get sick of... Uh, just to be evil for evil's sake, you know. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just want. I want to get back to having fun, and that's where uh, you know uh, someone showed me your uh, you know Beyond the Gates. I'm like, man, this looks like a fucking blast, man. Would you would you even consider this a crowd pleaser? I mean, when you're trying to write um, something, I've always been interested in is when you're sitting there trying to write are you are you into jump scares or are you trying to to gauge what the audience is gonna fill there and trying to trying to move the audience or I mean how do you how do you approach that
1: you know I mean it's sort of it's weird because on this movie Steve and I were were really specific about wanting it to catch you off guard in a lot of ways so we were like we were both a lot of people were against this, including some of my producers, but I'm, I'm ultimately glad we stuck with it. But, you know, we don't open the movie with like a big scare or whatever, or like someone dying, you know, in the first you know minute and a half of it. Because I was like, I want to start it like a real movie and then get into, you know, this crazy VCR stuff and then basically build it into something where you're, you don't quite know what to expect. So like when the gory stuff happens, it's shocking. And I I basically just wanted it to I wanted everything to have a purpose in it. And that was the easiest it, it was it's never for me like doing set pieces. I'm not like, oh, I wanna see someone, you know, get their leg blown off or whatever here or like I wanna see, you know, a bunch of like rats eat this guy's skull or something. Like I love watching that in movies, but I just feel like the story needs to have some purpose first in order for that to um or in order for those things to be effective because otherwise it's basically like you're just filling in a formula and it, people are not going to connect with it
0: yeah and uh since again you're so close to the horror genre is there any horror films that you've uh, seen recently that you're like man um you got to check this out
1: yeah absolutely you know I, I think uh southbound is terrific i don't know if you've seen that uh-uh
0: what what is Southbound?
1: It's uh, it's this, uh, basically, it's like a. I don't quite know how to pitch it, but it's sort of like an anthology film that takes place on this highway to hell. Oh it wow! Just, it shifts perspectives, but it's like Dave Bruckner did a segment, which is amazing. Pat Horvath, um, uh Radio Silence, um, Roxanne Benjamin, and there's just you know a ton of really great people involved with it. But, you know, that was a movie that really impressed me. Uh, I think Starry Eyes is fantastic. I don't know if you've seen that.
0: Uh,
1: uh, God, I'm trying to think of what else. I'm, I'm sure I'm spacing a ton of them right now. But th- those are like the two that kind of come to the the forefront for me, just right off the top of my head. And I mean, and there's also like I'm really looking forward to seeing the the new Blair Witch movie that uh Simon Barrett and Adam Wingard did and um Alistair LeGrand has a movie coming out called Clinical that I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing and uh yeah apart from that I can't really think of anything
0: was there anything at the festival that uh, you want to you know uh, point us towards
1: uh that I watched at LA Film Festival yeah
0: anything that uh, caught your attention there
1: uh i'm ashamed to say this i actually didn't end up seeing a single horror movie there
0: because i was so busy with press no, I'm and sure. the, trying, trying to like do other
1: stuff that it was it was it was honestly it was just impossible um for me to but i am planning on seeing a lot of that stuff uh on the festival circuit because most of those movies are playing at the same festivals i'm going to like abattoir is playing at um uh, I think it's at Fright Fest. I'm going to see that there, and you know, I, I want to see this movie Mercy and uh, Lights Out also premiered there, which I still haven't seen. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think that's it.
0: Well, that's great, man, and I want to uh, – we'll end on this last question here, man. I don't want to take up all your time, but something I completely spaced and I wanted to ask you about it is um, your soundtrack, man. What did you – because I don't – I haven't heard any uh, music from this, man. So uh, did you guys go with like a, a synth score? Did you try to keep it more modern? What did you do with that? Well, we did a
1: little bit of both. It, it, I mean I do want to say a little bit of both. It was a little – based around synth but we also have like a lot of strings in it so it's sort of a blending of the two and the big selling point with me was i or i I talked to a handful of composers about doing it but uh wochek who did the score to late phases and we are still here he told the thing that sold me on him instantly was he used to compose music for commodore 64 games but he was like, "Hey, I want to incorporate some elements of these Commodore sixty four games into the score in a subtle way." And I was like, "That's fucking perfect. That's Let's awesome. do it." And um, he just had a lot of really smart ideas on on where to take the score. And um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a little like you know, Goblin and uh, you know, little Christopher Young and some of these other people that I, I think did some uh, pretty imp- impressive work in the 80s, but without feeling derivative of those.
0: Yeah. Was there any movies that in- helped you influence the score? Like, I mean, some of my favorite scores or soundtracks have to be from either Return of the Living Dead, obviously, Brad Fidel, <laughs> Brad Fidel's, uh, you know, uh, Fright Night, um, and then the soundtrack of Fright Night in general, and then, um, you know, Dawn of the Dead, you know, you mentioned Goblins, you know, so... Uh, oh, yeah.
1: Well, you know, I it's weird because a lot of the tracks quite honestly, more of the stuff that ended up being on was in the, I'm actually, I'm going to pull this up right now and, and tell you exactly, but most of that stuff was in the writing phase. Like we had, you know, um, actually that, uh, <laughs> we had like the non host Sano song from Dario Argento sleepless in there. We had like a tangerine dream song from sorcerer that, uh, I think it's called Betrayal. Um, we had some, like, Jerry Goldsmith stuff from Psycho 2. There okay. was... Actually, weirdly enough, there was music from Castlevania 3 in there. Um, you know, Carpenter's Score for Christine. Uh, you know, a few other odd ones, like some of the season of the... Uh, Halloween three Season of the Witch. Oh, right on. Phantasm pieces. Um, and, yeah. So, I mean, there, there was... Just stuff like that, and um, yeah.
0: Well, when can us Indiana folk see this movie?
1: You know, we're, we're really close to signing with a distributor. We're hopefully going to have that done by the end of next week. Um, but the aim right now is to get it out toward the end of this year or early 2017. So it would be like in the first couple months
0: right on man i'm I'm very excited to see this man it sounds like you guys had a lot of fun man i I like where your heart is with this you know with the uh the effects and the movies that you're pulling from and and just your your upbringing with the movies and the video store it seems like you're you're pointed in the right direction there man I'm as a horror fan um like I said earlier it's it's far and a uh, few between that a that a good and an intelligent just a fun movie comes out man I'm really looking forward to this
1: oh thank you um yeah, maybe I might be able to sneak you a link if you're. <laughs>
0: if, <laughs> if uh, well, we'll, we'll talk about it offline. All, all, blind, all right, right, sounds good, so man. <laughs> well, where I'm can saying. where can Videoland find you, man? If they're interested in your work and uh, they they want to contact, where can they find you at?
1: Uh, you know, the best place is probably Twitter or Instagram. I'm my handle is at Boss Jacko, B O S S J A C K O and there's also there's a beyond the gates twitter where we repost a ton of cool vcr stuff and you know old vhs ads in addition to stuff from the movie called that's at beyond the gates underscore all one word so just beyond the gates underscore uh i highly recommend checking that out steve runs that and he just does a killer job pulling these just insane ads that you've never seen before um and it's it's a lot of fun to it like it's it's probably like the highlight of my twitter life is seeing the stuff Steve curates from there.
0: Well awesome man. Thank you uh honestly for taking the time man and and, and sharing this uh that your work with us. Um everyone else that's listening, you can find us on adventuresinvideoland.com. Uh you can go to uh Facebook. That's where we're the strongest. Um our conversation always begins and ends on Facebook. Um, right now we're working on our, uh, Alfred Hitchcock marathon we're doing a Labor Day marathon and we're like, you know what, we could do a, a fun Labor Day marathon where we're actually talking about, uh, the workers, the blue collar workers, but you know what, let's talk about a director who worked his fucking ass off. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about Alfred Hitchcock. So that's coming up very soon. Uh, we got, we're doing a uh, rear window, uh, psycho, um, North by Northwest, uh, vertigo and, um. Ah, there's another one in there. But uh, it's going to be a hard marathon because we actually uh, verse pretty much all these movies against each other uh, from best actor, best location, etc. cetera. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what movie comes uh, out on top out of 20 categories and four people uh, talking about the movie. So uh, that's going to be fun. We just finished our Pam Greer three-way where we went Coffee, Foxy Brown, and Jackie Brown against each other. That was a lot of fun. Um, so uh, join in on the conversation. And until next time, let's talk about movies. Peace out.